If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hi, everyone. It's Erin, and I want to take a quick minute and tell you about a course that I have coming up this summer. On the podcast, we talk a lot about student-driven learning. But this can be scary, especially when it comes to the lab. When I first started with NGSS, I envisioned total chaos, and that really scared me. It scared me so much that I didn't give my students control of their investigations for a really long time. Then I figured out how to manage student-driven investigations, and while it wasn't perfect at first, the students learned so much. And it actually ended up saving me time because I wasn't spending endless hours prepping for labs. Right now, the waitlist is open for my student-driven investigations course. If you want to get on the waitlist, go to sadlerscience.com investigate to sign up. The waitlist will give you exclusive information, updates, and you'll be the first to have access to the course when it opens. Enrollment will be limited, so sign up for the waitlist today at sadlerscience.com investigate. Hey guys, welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm here with Erin Sadler um, and I'm Nicole Van Tassel and we are actually addressing a listener question today. So if you have, if you have questions, but you have never submitted one before, please, please submit a question. I'm going to let Erin explain how, because I don't remember. So if you just go to teachingscienceinthreedy.com slash questions, we have a really easy form for you to fill out. It will take you like five minutes to submit a question. Super Yay, easy. Yeah. You can submit an audio file or just text. Oh yeah. Then people can hear people besides us on this podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So we are answering a listener question today. So Erin, would you like to read the question? Sure. So this is coming from Michelle from Washington. And she says, I would love to know more about how students go through the explore phase. How do you find activities for students? How do you progress monitor? How long is the explore phase? I'm new to the podcast and I don't know if you've covered this. I love listening to your ideas. Thank you so much. So nice. That is nice. I like hearing from people that listen. Sometimes I wonder if anybody does <laughs> or like what they think as they're listening. I guess I know I can see if people are listening because they make podcast statistics, but I like wonder what they're thinking as they're listening. So I'd love to hear if you guys have thoughts, what you're thinking as you're listening. This is one of my favorite topics, exploration. Yeah. So let's start by just talking about what the explore phase is. 
And I'm going to kind of yield to you a little bit on this one, um, because I think that we kind of see this in the 5e model and you're much better at that, but we're also going to talk about how it's not necessarily related to the 5e model as well. Yeah. Okay. So my first experience with exploration was through the 5e model. Like I came across the 5e model right around the same time that I was exploring the NGSS and actually like a lot of, there's a lot of mistakes or misunderstandings out there about the 5e model, but this is not the episode for that. I think, do we have an episode about the misunderstandings? Okay. So we'll link to that. Um, But the important thing we want to emphasize here is even if you're not using the 5e model, all of the other NGSS like models of instruction, you know, if you're using open Syed, they have like certain routines or I can't remember what the exploration one is called, but there's like a navigating one and there's a, um, like a sense making one. And, and there's one for figuring it out and explore, you know, exploring. So no matter like what NGSS curriculum you're using, there's always a phase where students are exploring or they are discovering or uncovering the content themselves. And it's usually using the science and engineering practices like really heavily in this phase, um, because that's the vehicle that they're uncovering the content or discovering the content through. So this phase is usually really heavy on that. Um, And, you know, we want all of our activities and all of our lessons to really be 3D. But a lot of times the science and engineering practices really come to the forefront during this activity, because that's, again, the tool that students are using to figure out the content. Um, So I kind of wanted to just kind of throw that out there. Yeah. And many, many episodes ago, I think maybe even in the first season, we talked about how some of the science and engineering practices lend themselves better to this exploration and some of them lead themselves better to like explanation. So we can also link to that one as well. Yeah. Like the different, I don't know, sections or groups of SEPs, like grouping the SEPs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So yeah. So exploration, I mean, it's really just about figuring out the content. So typically we would be in the past, we've kind of relied on this teaching as telling approach. Like we just tell the information to our students and we, what we want to move toward is a more constructivist approach. So this is where, you know, people say some of these like new standards or this, this way of teaching or whatever, it's a fad, it's a phase, it's a new thing. It's really not. It's like from the 1800s and the early 1900s, like when the whole constructivist education reform movement was getting going, it's, it's literally that idea that our students, the best learning happens when our students are the ones actively learning and figuring the stuff out for themselves, you know? So that's really what exploration is about. Um, instead of you telling them the idea, they are making the connections in their own mind and and putting it together. So exploration is really how you're crafting the experience to help them make those connections. Yeah, and I also just want to throw it out for the people who have trouble with, you know, like thinking about the 5e model, which I myself do, is just thinking about that, like explore before explain. Like, so they're exploring before they get some sort of explanation from you or before they're asked to provide an explanation. So that's kind of what we're referring to here. If you're not, if you're not familiar with that instructional um, model. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Something I noticed, I just, I was reading a book last night and they talked about, this is this. Okay. Just follow me here. They (laughs) talked about these Parisian book walls. I can't even remember what they're called. Book carts, book walls. And they were talking about it and describing it in this book. And I'm like, it's a fiction book, whatever. But um, 
And I had literally absolutely no context for what these stupid things looked like or what they were or anything like that. So I I could not put together in my mind this like scene or the setting where this part of the story was taking place because I had no idea what they were talking about. So I Googled what it was and then I could see a picture and then I could figure out, oh, they're just like these booksellers that are like, they're, I don't know, they're their stores are attached to these walls and they just stand in like bridges and walk and roads and things. And they sell books to people that are walking by. Um, but basically explore is like the Google experience that I had. Like if I, if somebody went in and was trying to teach me about these Parisian book stalls or whatever, I had no context in my brain to, to connect that with, or to visualize it or to understand it. Or, and I was just really confused and it made it hard to understand what was happening in the story without that context. Exploration is giving your students that context. It's recognizing that everybody's coming in. Um, it levels the playing field in that sense, because it's not everybody's coming in with the same background experiences and background knowledge. Um, so it's a way to, everybody has this shared experience to use that experience to figure out the content and have the content make sense. Um, so that's like another kind of important thing about exploration. It's it's creating that experience so that your students can then make sense of the content and have that actual experience to fall back on when it comes to the content. Um, but anyway, sorry. So Parisian, if you Google Parisian book, I don't know, book stalls or book, I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So <laughs> how do you create activities for the explore phase? So... I, I start with, I think of like what my objective, like what's my objective, like what's my content objective. I'll even narrow it down to that. Like, what is the thing I want my students to know? And then I think what, so I want them to know that populations change in response to the resources in their environment. And then I think what science and engineering practice, could they do to figure that idea out or to see that idea in action? Um, And so this is a little bit like, where can they see that idea? That's going to play into what phenomenon I choose and what science and engineering practice can they carry out to see that idea? That's going to tie into the, like the task itself. So like resource availability to population change in relation to the resources. I might think of, I don't know, one of my activities I've done in the past is like lemmings and snowy owls. Cause I always think that's just a fascinating relationship, how it goes up and down. And it's, it's one of those few interactions where there's not like, it is a dynamic and it involves also very, there's like a clear cause and effect kind of thing going on in that data. You know, I, I think, I think there's a place for messy data for sure in our classrooms. But I also think that we, um, we want some clarity in that. So, so, you know, you can see that relationship and it's, it's real data. Like if you like, literally you can Google like Alaskan lemming populations and Alaskan snowy owl populations and look for real data. So it's not always crazy clear cut where it's like the same old, I don't know, bell curve that you see in every textbook of every type of, um, I don't know data, but it still shows like a clear pattern. So I'm like, okay, snowy owls and lemmings, snowy owl populations, like literally they, they change the number of babies they lay based on the amount of lemmings that are around. And it like changes up and down. 
every four years, super cyclical. That's my phenomenon. And then I think like, how am I, are they going to be able to see that? Like, okay, so that's where you think of, well, the data can help them see that pattern. So then right there, you have your three dimensions. You have like my content is that resource availability or service availability affects like populations and their growth and the reproduction and all of that. I have my, my phenomenon ties into that, my snowy owls. I have my science and engineering practice, which is analyzing data and interpreting data. And then I even have my crossing concept because they're looking for patterns. So there's my three dimensions right there. Um, and I literally just did that by thinking, here's my content objective, what science and engineering practice will allow them to see it and where can they see it in the real world? And that shows my phenomena, that shows my practice. And that's my activity. And from then, from there, it's just like, here, I'm giving you the phenomena in the form of data. And your task is to analyze that data and look for those patterns. And like, I mean, that's the task. And obviously you scaffold it, but but that's, that's the activity. That's the task. It doesn't have to be crazy. Um, and you can even do it with activities you have. A lot of times it's just taking out a lot of the explanation that you've done in the past. Like you have an activity, it's not very exploratory, but you can make it exploratory by removing the instructions or by removing the explanation at the beginning or whatever. That sounds really good. So let's tackle another one of her questions, which is how long does this phase generally last? I feel like that's a good one to tackle. Um, I think it, I mean, so much of it also just depends on your students, but you can have a short exploration that's like 20 minutes and you can have an exploration that might last like two days or something like that, you know, two class periods. Um, I feel like you could even probably have an exploration that's broken up into like little bite-sized pieces as they collect a piece of data and then they have to wait a day and they collect another piece of data and then they look at those two in comparison and then they add another piece of data the next day or something like that, you know? Well, and I feel like we, there's a lot of um, like canned curricula and stuff like that where it has it, where it just like is this piece at the beginning and they don't really go back to it. So it, it can also show back up in your lesson sequence. Like, you know, you can refer back and do another exploration in your lesson sequence. It's not like a one and done type thing. Yes. So true. Honestly, I kind of feel like your objectives is pretty much going to have its own exploration. Yeah. Because if you think about like, what can you like feasibly figure out or uncover on your own? It's kind of one thing at a time, you know, once in a while you can find maybe two things that are really closely related. Like you might notice with the snowy owls and lemmings that it affects the size of the population and it affects reproduction. Those are technically might be two individual objectives that you might break out, but you could probably see with the same set of data that, okay, the population is going to go up because reproduction also goes up and whatever. Um, but, but really each objective you have in your lesson might have its own, probably has its own exploration, probably has its own like explanation or sense-making activity does not have to have. And this is where like the 5e is not necessarily linear. Right. Not every single objective has to have its own engage activity. Not every single has to have its own elaborate or elaboration or extension activity. Um, not every objective has its own full assessment. Obviously, you should be formatively assessing your students. But for the most part, each like objective probably has its own exploration or and like meaning making, sense making kind of discussion or task. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a good place to bring in her other question where she asks, how do you progress monitor in this phase? Um, I like to think about, it's really just a matter of guiding them through the connections that they need to make 
in order to see or uncover, you know, the idea. So I always just start with, um, and I might do this in the form of like a graphic organizer or questions. Um, you know, if you're right there with your students the entire time, then obviously you wouldn't need to have this whole written process maybe other than it can be helpful to write things down. I think there's value in writing things down, but, um, but the real reality is like in our classrooms, we're not necessarily with our students every single moment of class. So you, you, you're not going to be there to guide them through the whole step, step by step. So this allows you to um, see the progress of their thinking and, and also guide them through it so that they don't get stuck and they can keep moving through it without you. Um, so I like to do graphic organizers or like questions. And I always like to start with just observations about like, here's the task, like if it's data or maybe it's doing a modeling, you give them something like figure out how to replicate this set of data or this um, image or whatever. Um, give them a, a, that task and then just some just observations. What do they notice about it? And then the questions become more targeted or pointed toward like making connections between like the concepts. So I really want them to see how um, the interval of the changes happens on this regular basis in both sets of data with the lemmings and the snowy owls. So I might ask something pointed about like, what, what do you notice? Do you, can you, like, what patterns do you see in the way the snowy owls are changing? What patterns do you see in the way the lemmings are changing? Do you see any connection between these two species? And then like, what, what could explain a, a connection like that? Or, you know, you want to keep it ended enough that you're not giving them the answers, but you also just want that to be there in case they're not making those connections themselves. And then this way they can keep moving through it without you. Mm -hmm. And obviously as your students get better at this way of learning and exploration and all that, you can back off with some of those questions and those scaffolds. But when you're just getting started with putting this type of learning on your students who are not used to it, mm -hmm. sometimes the extra supports are a little bit beneficial. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, I don't know if this might be like too early in the lesson sequence or kind of depending on where it is in the lesson sequence and in your, in your school year, but you could also have them do like a graph annotation and collect that and kind of like, you know, just provide them with feedback or like one of the things I like to do when I collect stuff from students is just like give them one piece of feedback. So I'm not like grading, like your grading is yeah. super tedious, but feedback can be really quick. So just like asking them a question about what they noticed or, you know, something like that. And then this could also be um, a good place to bring in like a simple exit ticket, like, you know, like what pattern did you notice and have them. So then you're, you're able to see what each individual student knows rather than when it's whole group, it's kind of difficult to, to really assess how that's going for them. Yes, I think that's a good point. Um, so I never was in like a school that was like standards based grading or mastery or anything like that. I was in, you know, I, I taught in the traditional um, percentages and all of that. But like the exploration phase is not about the like you don't end exploration with like the right answer for sure. Right. Um. So when it comes to grading, like how do you, I, I get this question a lot, like how do you grade this phase or how do you grade this? X? And I mean, obviously everybody can do whatever they want, but um, one of the things that I found helpful was I would grade the majority, just like completion. Like, did you do it? Did you try it? Did you put some answers down? Um, but then I would have one question on there that was kind of like at the end, did you put the right ideas together here? And I would grade that question based on like actual accuracy. 
and, and then, you know, you can provide feedback in there. But that was a way that I could grade the assignments because, again, I had a percentage-based grading system. I needed to have grades. Um, it also, it, it was a way of holding my kids accountable, even though I think grades as your primary way of holding kids accountable is not a great strategy. But um, but that was like, a, I found that worked as a really good balance because that one question wasn't going to like tank their grade, but it also gave me, I could literally just look at that question and be like, okay, they walked away from the actual exploration before any like meaning making happening happened before any consensus talk or whatever maybe happened, but they just walked away from the initial activity with this understanding. And then I liked to add like what you've done, like after we had our kind of whole class discussion and consensus and sharing ideas and talking about what we figured out, um, like an exit ticket or something like that, that could give me, okay, now that we've even talked about it together now, what do you know? And now what can you connect? And I always like to do for the formative like assessments at the end of that, like thinking about it in relation to a, either the initial phenomenon or like a new phenomenon um, and applying like what they figured out to one of those things as a way to see, did they truly learn what they needed to from this investigation or, or exploration? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I think that we covered everything that she asked. Do you have anything to add? Um, you know, just that, like the, like it's, it's hard to exploration. It's like, you think, at least for me, I, I thought I was doing it because I, I was doing hands-on and my students were working on their own, you know, at stations and in groups. And then I realized that just because they were, so it seemed like they were actively learning. Right. But when I, when I looked closer at those activities, and this is where I see a lot of problems with a lot of existing 5e lessons that are out there. Um, they're kind of surface level student engagement, student act, like active learning. It's not really, um, the information is still coming from texts or textbooks or videos. And they're basically just taking that information and putting it on a piece of paper. Now, that's not to say that you can't have an exploration that's text-based because you could have students looking at descriptions and their goal is to put those descriptions together to make connections between them that's a higher level active, you know, I'm going to take what it says about this part. I'm going to take what it says about this part. And I'm going to think about how those two interrelate and how they connect. And that's the thinking, you know, that's that part of it. But a lot of the early activities that I thought were exploration were just me explaining the exploration, me yeah. explaining the connection in the form of a text or a video or whatever. And so it wasn't like truly exploration. Um, so I just think it's important to kind of really reflect on like, where is that specific knowledge or information coming from? Is it being given to them through a text or a video or something else? Or is it coming from their brain? Like they have to put the ideas together to walk away with that. And, um, but I also think that it's just important to like give yourself a break because this is a really big component of shifting your instruction you know, phenomena and building your units from phenomena is one other really big shift and, and change, but like figuring it out, exploration, letting your students construct their own understanding. That's another huge change. And it just takes time. You know, you just got to give yourself a break. Yeah, absolutely. And we also, um, you had two episodes in season one where you talked about using a discovery-based approach and as opposed to teaching is telling. So I'll also link to those as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Um, we love hearing from you. We were so glad to get this listener question. So again, please, if you have not submitted one, 
please send us your questions. We would love to address those in um, this season, next season, as you head back to school next fall, like whatever, whenever your questions come in, just whenever you're listening to this, send us your questions. We definitely want to um, take the time to answer them. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a great one, guys. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.